Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on First Lady and Friends, we have a great conversation with a teacher from Bountiful High School. She's a swim coach as well, and she's been really involved in the unified sports movement at her school. Her name is Alexa Olson. Can't wait for you to listen to our conversation. Let's get proximate. Welcome back to First Lady and Friends. We are here today with a really fun guest, I think. Uh, we She is somebody that I just met not too long ago. Uh, her name is Alexa Olson. We're so happy to have you here today. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. This is awesome. And I will just a little background on Alexis. She is a teacher, a high school teacher at Bountiful High School. And um, before we get into that... I, I want to talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, what, you know, the people around you, your family, what inspired you to, to go into education, um, those kinds of things. So I grew up in Centerville and I went to Viewmont High School and I had two teachers who were really impactful, Michelle Smith and Nancy Ott. And um, Michelle Smith coached me in debate and taught me a lot about speaking up for myself and being confident. And Nancy Ott taught my CE chemistry class. And no matter how much I didn't get it, she kept teaching me. And no matter how much time I took of hers, she never once acted like I was a burden to her. Um, and so... I, I had a big love for chemistry and for trying to find myself and be confident like Mrs. Smith taught me. And so I was like, well, I really want to go into chemistry. I love it. Um, I wanted to be a petroleum chemical engineer. And so I was looking at working with Chevron. There was, you know, this intern program in Saudi Arabia I thought would be really cool to go and do. And, you know, I would get go to school over there and... Um, I enrolled it. I got my associate's degree from Weber while I was kind of in this period figuring out what to do. And then I registered for classes at the U and my initial courses all had to do with, you know, earthquakes, volcanoes, pressure, chemistry, um, a lot of earth science. And then, you know, a month before school started, I just got a feeling that was like, you need to change majors. And so I was excited. I was really excited to be a petroleum chemical engineer. I thought it would be really cool to go into that field, especially as a woman. And I wanted to um, 
you know, I wanted to be a good advocate for women going into STEM because I feel very strongly about that. And I've seen so many other women in STEM that were around me that I looked up to. And so I wanted to do that really bad, but I just kept getting the feeling I needed to change what I was doing and I needed to be with kids. Um, At 18, I started coaching a club swim team and I loved it. And I started teaching swimming lessons when I was 16. And so I was always around kids. And when the time come to change classes, it I was looking at courses. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be interested in. Like, none of this looks fun to me. I want to learn about, you know, this. And then I saw classes that were about student teaching and about um, PE. And I was like, I think I could be a good, you know, maybe, maybe it's PE teaching because at 19, I had a surgery. Um, at 19, I weighed 320 pounds mm-hmm. and I had, um, been told that I was infertile at 16, that I probably wouldn't have kids because of how my body was with PCOS. And after my surgery within a year and a half, um, the cysts on my ovaries went away and I was able to have kids and I lost 155 pounds. And so I wanted that kept coming back and back. Like, why is this coming to me? And I was like, well, how did I feel in school in PE? And the truth was I didn't feel included in PE because the activities were not fun for me. You know, it would be the timed mile and I would have so much anxiety because I knew I was going to get a 13 or 14 minute mile. And after every Friday in junior high, it was just like I couldn't wait for the weekend to be done because it meant my mile was done. And I was always eating really healthy, but my body, anything I would eat would metabolize to sugar. So no matter what I ate, drank, or worked out, I was swimming and playing water polo and still gaining weight. And so those experiences made me realize that I could be a PE teacher that could help change kids' love for fitness. And so I got to do student teaching through the U. I got to teach um, elementary for one semester, junior high, high school, and then special needs. And the special needs PE class is what solidified that that's what I want to do. I, you know, I signed up for these classes. And once I did that, I knew that was what I wanted my degree to be was kinesiology teaching. And I knew I was supposed to be there because the kids in my special needs physical education class taught me about there's way more to life than a paycheck. I was very excited to be a petroleum chemical engineer with the paycheck that was attached to it. I thought I could make a really great life for myself and I would be really excited to have that sort of income. And I was the first person in my family to graduate college. My parents are both hard workers by trade. My mom works for the capital and the legislative branch. And my dad is a boiler inspector by trade, but I graduated school. And so I was like, you know, I want to make it, I want to, you know, show how hard I worked by earning money. And then, you know, you go and teach a special education class and you realize that's not what like happiness has nothing to do with the numbers on your paycheck Mm. it happens by kids who just bless your life and so we prepared a special olympics for these kids on the football field at west high and we went through all of the games and we did awards and 
um, seeing kids who can't walk with their posters and awards that they competed in the challenge was much bigger than I think any paycheck. That was the best payday I've ever had in my life was seeing how happy those kids were and how happy their parents were that they had that experience. Mm -hmm. And so I finished out my degree at the U. I got a bachelor's in kinesiology with a minor in health and nutrition. Um, And I wanted to bring that to my high school swim team because I wasn't yet a teacher when I finished. And so we started talking about body weight and we started talking about how it doesn't matter what size you are as long as you feel comfy, comfortable in your own skin and you're doing what's best for your body. And um, we started welcoming kids on the team. I didn't do any tryouts. I wanted everyone on the team. And so we started having more kids with special needs, autism, Asperger's, fetal alcohol syndrome. And we talked a lot about inclusion and how swimming is a lifelong sport and how everyone can swim no matter what type of body you have. And so when I started implementing what I learned in school and what the special needs community taught me, when I was implementing that to a a team where I tried really hard to have lots of kids from all backgrounds, I noticed I'd never been happier. Mm, I love that. I love that. Yeah, let's let's talk about um, let's go back. I want to go back to something you said. Um, You talked about your parents. I want to talk about um, that a little bit. Talk about what kind of encouragement they gave you to to really pursue what what you wanted. So you said neither of them. you, You were the first to graduate from from college in your family. Um, talk a little bit about maybe what those expectations were or were there any expectations and, and what kind of encouragement they, they gave you to, to really follow it. I mean, that was a very ambitious dream and, and you ended up changing that dream, but another very ambitious, um, dream came out of that. Um, let's, let's just talk a little bit about maybe your experience with them and that kind of encouragement. So my parents always said I could live with them as matter as long as I was working or going to school. Mm. It didn't matter. Um, but growing up, I would always do labor with my dad in the yard, and he would always say, "That's a lot of hard work we did today." And I always was like, "Well, no, duts hard. We're pulling weeds. I hate weeds. <laughs> like I don't want to." And he said, "If you learn one thing, it's that you learn how to work. I don't care what it is. Just learn a skill that." can benefit you or other people. And that was taught at a very young age by my dad. And then my mom has always been extremely organized. And even though she was never home, like during session, because it's a very busy time of year, she always made sure that, you know, my neighborhood was raising me and that I always got to what I needed to go to because of my mom. And so she always taught me the importance of being organized and making things work no matter how difficult it is. Like just because something is difficult doesn't mean you should try and try and avoid it. Mm-hmm. And so watching her have two kids and work in the legislative session for the last 30 years and still be a phenomenal mom made me realize that it doesn't matter how hard something is. If I want to do it, I just need to do it. And then having my dad always tell me to learn a skill and they never put the pressure to go to college, which is what I think helped. Mm -hmm. It was just you need to learn a skill, 
learn something that you can be good at to be a productive member that contributes back to society. That's what he would always say. Mm -hmm. You need to contribute to your society you live in. And so I think them not putting pressure on college made me want to go more because I really got to think about, well, what skills do I have? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I know how to teach swimming. I know, you know, I know how to talk to people. I know I want to learn how to be better with teenagers. And so although it was very difficult for me to go through school, you know, my parents couldn't help me with homework. You know, that was all on my own. But just their encouragement of you need to find a skill and you can be organized and you can do hard things if you want to. But it's a choice you have to make. So I think they inspired me to make tough choices for myself. That's amazing. Um, they they sound very inspiring, and I I love those those lessons that you've learned. Um, I'm I'm sitting here thinking about like our our students who maybe don't have that. I mean, I had parents that went to college, so they knew the process and they knew how to help me. So talk a little bit about is there someone else? Maybe these teachers you talked about that inspired you. Is there somebody that helped you navigate that transition um, into college? Because I know that can be very intimidating if you've never experienced it, if you don't have parents that have experienced it. I, I think our higher ed folks are trying really hard to kind of maybe alleviate some of that. But I know when I was trying to get through school, like it's, it's really tough for somebody that maybe has the background or has people that, that understand the process. What, what was that like? Um, I met with my academic advisor a lot, mm. a lot, a lot, and they became a very close friend. Um, my sister, she, she'd been to college. She didn't graduate, but she always told me she would help me figure things out or find my way around campus or let me know what I can help with. Um, but when I was at the U, I met a friend. Her name is Emily Sua, and we were in the same program together, and she had no idea why she was in that program either. She was like, I wanted to do art and dance, but here I am. And so Emily and I took every single class we could together. And she had her schedule and she figured out, you know, what minors we could get together. And she and I kind of went through baptism by fire together. And college was new to her. It was new to me. And... We supported each other through all of the years, and we graduated together. And then later on, we actually got to teach together for a year at Bountiful as teaching assistants. And so she was probably the person that helped me the most through college because we could ask each other questions because we both didn't know, and we would both go together. So instead of being by myself to go ask someone or just give up because I couldn't figure it out. I could ask Emily and she she also needed that answer and so I wasn't as discouraged as I thought I would be because it was terrifying walking around a big campus and figuring out, you know, how many classes I need to take and you know, I was able to take 18 credits a semester and get a get a bachelor in minor two minors in, you know, under 2 years and I couldn't have done it without her. Mm, that's amazing. I love that. That's. I think there's so many 
people that inspire us and we forget that, you know, we've had so much help along the way and that we need to turn around and help those that that need it as well. Um, I I also want to want to talk about what um, I, I want to talk more about your major. I don't, I don't think people know exactly what that is. And let's let's do that when we come right back. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. We are back here on First Lady and Friends with Alexa Olson. She's a teacher at Bountiful High School. We met a while ago, and 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 I was so inspired by her story and the things that she was sharing with me. Um, I I want to get back into this. You you talked about kinesiology as is your major. I don't know that a lot of us know what that is, but um, why don't you explain exactly what that is and and maybe how that's prepared you to to be a better teacher. So kinesiology is the study of exercise science, the study of how the body moves, the study of how the body functions. Um, We learn about anatomy. We learn about motor functions. We learn about how the body develops, what stages the body goes through. We learn about the impact that stress has on our lives and on our joints. We learn about mental health and how... That's not talked about nearly enough, and we had a lot of professors who dove into that, that our physical health can't be at its peak if our mental health is not at its peak as well. Um, And then the teaching part of it was teaching PE, basically. So you learn about the body, how it moves, how it's supposed to move, and then you apply those concepts to K through 12 and then you know, after postgraduate special needs adults. Okay. Oh, that's fantastic. And and I think a lot of us realize uh, that, that it's important. And so I, I love that that's an area that you focused on and are, are teaching because I think it, it is very interconnected. Um, I think that we are learning more and more about that now. I think people are starting to realize how much our mental health, our physical health are all inter- intertwined and connected. Um, that's, and, and especially like you talked about with our, with our friends with disabilities, our friends with special needs and the, and the things that they need that are maybe, a, uh, more pronounced, uh, when it comes to physical health many times, not always, but, but many times. Um, and, and also the mental and, and, uh, emotional health is all, uh, relative and connected as well. Um, I, you and I met because you were being honored as one of the teachers of the year, which is fantastic through the Instructure Utah Jazz Partnership. And I, I want to talk to you a little bit about, first of all, kind of what that meant. I mean, after all your hard work and the things that, you, that you've been going through these last couple of years, I mean, that all educators are facing, but, but that it's just been really, really tough for, for our educators right now. Talk a little bit about what that meant and what maybe have been some of the struggles that you've faced in the last few years. 
getting the um, MVE, the Most Valuable Educator Award, made me realize um, that what I'm doing has impacted at least one person. And there are a lot of days that I think many teachers have faced over the past three years where you feel like what you're doing does not matter. And you're tired and you're trying your best. You're trying to be your best teacher self. But there are days where you just don't have it in you. And when you, when I got that award, it kind of gave me a pep in my step that what I was doing affected at least one student. And I need to treat every day as if it could change one student's life. No matter what I was going through, it had to be left at the door And I needed to be there for my students. Um, When my students were going through trials um, and they would openly talk to me about it, we would have conversations and I would open up about how, you know, how things have been hard for me and how, you know, sometimes I don't want to be at school because their thing is I don't want to be here today. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I get that. Guess what? I don't either. I wanted to take today off and I wanted to lay in my bed with my puppy. That's all I wanted to do. And they would say, really? And I would say, yeah, like there are days where people don't want to do stuff. But guess what? We have to show up and do it sometimes. And I get asked a lot by students, you know, why do I have to do math? I'm never going to use this. And my answer is always, yeah, but you need to know how to critically think for yourself. And you need to know how to problem solve. It's not about numbers, but we talk about, you know, circumstances where kids have to choose and we talk about how that relates to their homework, Mm -hmm. you know, and how we might not use everything that we're taught, but you at least have to digest it enough to think for yourself and to figure out how to do things. And so, you know, some of the things I face this year, just kids that struggle and COVID did a number on kids socially And a lot of kids needed to be back with their people. And I wanted to be a teacher that facilitated a good social environment for every kid, no matter what they've been through. Um, A lot of my kids' parents were divorced during the pandemic. Um, The Mm -hmm. pandemic caused some, some rifts at home and A lot of the meals my students ate, the school meals were the only meals they got. And so, you know, not having that breakfast and lunch um, was really hard on them. And so we were able to get um, pantry packs. And when the kids came back from school, they got back on a routine and a schedule. And it was very hard for me not to have a routine and a schedule. That's how I thrive. And so... I was able to bond with my students about the hardships of without a routine and structure. And I gained an appreciation for the bell schedule at school. Sometimes I'm like, why is it like this? Why is it like this? But after talking with my kids about how, how much, how important it is to follow that schedule. And if you take advantage of it, it'll change your life because you'll know how to be on time for things and you'll know about deadlines and, that gives you something to focus on and we forget about the crappy things that are happening. Mm-hmm. We don't dismiss the crappy things, but when we focus on what we can control, like being on time to class, then we forget about the things that we can't control. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it sounds like to me that you have really great relationships with your students. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that among many, I'm sure that you were selected for for this honor. But I'm wondering um, how you feel like those relationships, I assume you feel like they enhance your the way you do your job. In what ways do you think that those relationships um, and building those relationships help you to to be a better teacher and to connect better with your students? Oh, man, seeing a smile on their face when they come in my room makes me forget about anything bad that's going on, and I just teach. When they walk in and they yell, hi, Miss Lou, or hi, Mrs. Olson, I go by Lou, and so they'll call me Miss Lou. Um, They always wave to me in the hall. They come in my classroom smiling, and I'll hear students say, oh, I've been waiting for this class all day, and that just makes my heart feel good. I like that my room is somewhere where kids come that they know they're valued. And so when I when I hear kids, you know, I get notes from students and I read one that said, thank you for helping me with math. I'm sorry I didn't get it and I'm sorry I didn't go to class. I'll be better next time. Aww. And <laughs> that was from a student who hadn't been to school in like three weeks. And for them to write that note... That probably changed everything. That was kind of towards the beginning of the school year. And they didn't miss class after that. Wow. And their math grade, they started to pass it. And they were credit deficient. We had to make up some sophomore math um, for their junior year. And we made it all up. And they got signed up in the math class they needed. But notes like that for my kids, I... I try really hard to be like that with each student because I truly have no idea what each one is facing. Um, but once we go through some help and, you know, I'm I'm tutoring them in various subjects because it's a credit recovery class. And so one day I might be doing physics or chemistry or English or art or something. No matter what subject it is, it's a different individual every time. Mm-hmm. And it taught me to teach each kid like they're their own person. I'm not going to treat one kid like the kid sitting next to them, even though they're both doing chemistry. They're both very different and they both need very different feedback. So I think trying new things with each of my kids and seeing the responses just made me want to get to know all of them really well, because the more I knew them, the more I felt like I could help them without knowing them or where they come from. I couldn't help them and it wasn't beneficial until I got to know, you know, why are they missing school? Oh, well, my parents got a divorce and I don't have a ride. Okay, let's figure that out. Or, um, you know, I have an abusive home situation and I haven't been wanting to go to school because I know if you see my bruises, you have to report it to someone. Oh, gosh. Or... I have really bad depression or I was up at uni because I tried to take my life, you know. Mm. A lot of times kids don't come to school. It's not because they're lazy. It's probably because something is going on. Mm. And when I realized that and I I changed my whole attitude of, oh, well, they're just lazy. Look at their attendance record. When you find out the reason behind the attendance record, it changes how you view children and how you 
view the how you what language you use in your classroom and how you approach situations and the tone in your voice and the behavior management skills you you learn but yeah seeing what my kids go through and what they've talked about it's it's changed how I do everything and every day is a different day with new kids and yeah wow that's really that's really powerful thought. Uh, we've talked a lot about being trauma informed and it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing is sort of looking through uh, a trauma lens when it comes to these kids and and what they're going through and and to really connect with them. That's I I see now why you are <laughs> the most valuable educator. Um just just incredible. Um Talk to me a little bit more about what you're seeing kids and, and and maybe the mental health struggles that we're seeing. We've talked a lot about the on this program and, and, and through our teacher wellness initiative about what what we're seeing with our, our kids' mental health. And also let's talk about how that's affecting the mental health of our educators as well. I think kids are just facing their mental health is all over the place because a lot of them have a lot more social anxiety than they used to have. And a lot of them have a lot more depression than they used to have. And they don't quite understand what to do when they experience that. Mm. And I think when when kids get a grade on something they worked really hard on, but yet it's it's not the grade they wanted, I think it kind of destroys them a little mm, bit. Yeah. And so maybe that resilience piece of, yes. of them maybe not having the sort of the resilience skills yes. that they need. They don't know how to get back up after that. Interesting. Why do you think that is? I think it's because you know, some in some cases, parents put a lot of pressure on kids, but not all. I think, I think that kids expect a lot from themselves, and I think that as soon as they see that, they're like, "Oh well, I'm done. I'm just stupid. Mm. I don't want to try again because what if I try again and what if I fail again?" Interesting. So we're maybe not teaching kids to f- fail. That it's okay to fail because that's how we learn. I, my, one of my favorite books is, and we've talked about it here, but the Adam Grant Think Again and the idea that failing and actually being wrong is, is how you get smarter, how you learn. It's that scientific method of, you know, getting all the wrong answers out of the way before you can get to the right answer. Right. And I, and I love that because I think as we think about how we teach our, students, how we teach our children, like how, you know, we need to, failure has to be celebrated actually in some ways. Um, this idea of, of uh, somebody said the other day, fail fast, mm-hmm. hurry, <laughs> hurry up and fail because you need to get that out of the way before you can move on and, and get to the right thing. It's a lot less painful that way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's such a such an interesting concept that I think I don't know where we went awry along this path of not being able to fail, that that kids are not feeling the permission to fail in order to learn and get past it and and get to the right thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, so interesting. What do you think about educators and their wellness and, and just the general, um, place that, you know, the space that, that teachers are in right now? I think teachers are facing a lot of hardships right now. And, you know, speaking of, you know, what they're going through, they put a lot of pressure on themselves for what a child learns and what life skills they've taught that child. And so when the kid comes in their class and doesn't want to fail, but then they do and then they give up, teachers take that on themselves, that it's their fault that the kid didn't pass their AP exam. It's their fault that the kid didn't get the CE grade they needed or that it's their fault that their kid didn't pass that term of something. And so I think the pressure teachers, you know, put on themselves or the parents put on teachers kind of makes teachers question why they're doing it. And I think the amount of work that is spent outside of the actual contract hours quote can really put a number on teachers when you know, others make comments about, well, at least you get summer off. I don't get summer off. It's like, oh, my- <laughs> okay. Could we just correct that misnomer right now? Uh, could we just all agree that, um, you know, hopefully, you know, my millions of listeners here today will, will really pull together and decide that we will not assume that teachers have the entire summer off, that they just are, you know, basking in the sun all summer long because it's really not true. I mean, again, I've talked about it. My, I have mom who is an educator. My grandma was an educator. I have lots of family members who are educators. This is actually not the case. Um, and most educators are either teaching summer school. They are, um, they are doing other, you know, continuing education, uh, things. They are preparing for for their next year. They are putting lesson plans together. They are putting their classrooms together. They are. I mean, there's just a a myriad of things that that our teachers are doing when the students are not actually in class. And I actually um, addressed the some teachers in Davis County the other day. And I said, um, not only are we doing all these other things, we're actually thinking about our students, which I assume you are too. You are thinking about your students even when they're not in your classroom. Now, when my husband was an attorney working at a law firm, we, they had this, they build their hours every six minutes. Those were, that was their billing increments. And they, there was a term and I, I can't remember it, but it was um, thinking about the case. So there was actually billing time for when you're thinking about the case. So just imagine, imagine a world where we have teachers getting paid for thinking about their students. I'd have the salary of a petroleum chemical engineer. Exactly. (laughs) You actually would. You actually would because... That that is people don't understand, but this is a continual thing. I remember when my mom retired and she I was living in Virginia at the time. And I remember her calling me just kind of out of the blue, like in the middle of the day. And I thought, wait, it was so strange for her to just call me. And it wasn't like she had a specific thing. She was just calling to chat with me. And for all those years that she was teaching, that had never happened. And I just remember thinking, it's not that she 
wasn't, you know, at home at some point during that time, but she just wasn't thinking about the kids. She was thinking about me, her own child <laughs> for the first time in a lot. I mean, not the first time, but, you know, she really had the the time and the energy to to think about how I was doing as her child adult child but her child and so you can imagine a world well you can, you can imagine it you don't have to imagine it you're living it a world where you know teachers are are compensated or or at least appreciated for at the very least appreciated for for the amount of emotional and mental energy and physical energy that go into their students so so let's let's um continue to talk about this, but I want to get into unified sports when we come right back. We are back here on First Lady and Friends with Alexa Olson from Bountiful High School. She's an amazing teacher. Um, and we we want to talk about, you and I first connected and, and we were talking and you were telling me about what unified sports has done um, in your school to really change the climate, the, the um, environment of inclusion and um, I want to dive into that and talk a little bit more about that. Um, let's let's talk about we, we. I think it's it's fairly new at Bountiful High School. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about what you're seeing um, and how how this is um, playing out in your school. So at Bountiful High, one of the teachers, um, her name's Amber Moore. When the um, Bountiful High Unified Sports Team, when we found out, you know, they were going to the big tournament, she put together a pep rally in between class periods. And it was the most full our gym had been in a very long time. Our assemblies at the school are fantastic. Our SBO advisor, Vicki, does a phenomenal job. Um, but kids ditch assemblies. But at the Unified Sports Assembly, I think pretty much every kid was there. And we had the kids, so Amber made it so that there was a big banner that had their team name on it, and everyone was cheering, and the kids ran through the paper and broke the paper, and they all got to run out on the gym floor, and the whole school stood up. Mm -hmm. And it was so powerful because you saw how happy every single kid was. And... um. We had, you know, the kids who were helping the kids with special needs, they were advocates for their buddies in all of their classes, and they got to know them on a personal level, and they shared with other kids what that experience was like um, a lot, it, a lot because, you know, the teachers at the school wanted to hear about it, and we wanted to know what we could do better for these students and what accommodations we're maybe not seeing that we could make because students can see them sometimes better than teachers can when they're friends with them. Um, but the pep rally really changed things for our our staff in our school. It was a rough year and um, a lot of administration changes and teachers leaving. I think um, last year we had over 20 teachers quit or retire and this wow. year we had about 16 and so this, like when this pep rally happened, it just made it so we could all enjoy being at the school. Mm-hmm. And it set a tone that we are a school that 
loves every kid and that wants to make accommodations for people who need accommodations. And you started to see, um, you just started to see kids befriending kids that they would not have befriended before and not doing it because someone told them to, but doing it because they genuinely wanted to be a friend to that kid and get to know them. Yeah, that is it just like my heart feels so much happiness and joy hearing this because I, I've seen this too and I've seen the power of inclusion. I've seen the power of kids getting to know kids that have a different story from them. And it's it's what this world needs. It's absolutely what this world needs. And if we can get kids to have that experience in their in their school years, they will be lifelong allies and advocates for for people that have different abilities and and who struggle and who who need extra love and inclusion and help. Talk a little bit about the student that that went around to to the schools or to the, to each of the classes and and helped their unified partner to to feel included. Um so this student uh, in my room, they came up to me and they said, you know, this is, these are the things I've learned about so-and-so. And I think that you could try this and it would work. And then they would go to some other classes and they would talk to um, either different paras or teacher assistants or teachers about, you know, this particular student and what you know, what they need to hear. Hey, they're having a rough day today. They could use some encouragement. Or, you know, they kind of seem off today. I don't know what's going on. If you could just, you know, I don't want to ask them what's wrong. If you could just, you know, go out in the hall with them and see what's going on. Or, um, And it, it was really powerful because that student cared so much about that student and they wanted – every adult possible that could have helped that child to help that child. Mm. And it made me start to analyze kids' body language a lot more and pick up on nervous tics and maybe, you know, have a better idea of how my kids are feeling and asking the questions you know, how are you today and doing self-surveys every day in class rate yourself a one through 10. Why did you pick that number? Um, and what can I assist you with today? Because there are some kids that don't want to say it out loud. Mm. And I think that when we just like that student, no one asked her to go around. No one did that. She just did it on her own. And so I want to be the one that doesn't ask you know, do you need help? I want to say, what can I do to help you? Mm. And I think that unified sports is all about support and learning, you know, what can we do instead of, well, do they need help? It's no, what, what are you going to do to help them? What are you going to do to love them? What are you going to do to include them? Um, getting rid of, you know, like, oh, well, I have, you know, I have so many 504s. I have so many IEPs. This is going to be difficult. Like, yeah, that is. But also what an opportunity to learn how to work with different children. Mm -hmm. 
what an opportunity to learn about this disability, about, you know, the kid that has a lot of seizures and the kids that have um, different mental capabilities and the kids who cannot walk. You get to learn about them and you get to learn how they learn. And it's a fun challenge for a teacher to meet that student and say, we're going to make this work. And it's okay to admit and be like, I don't know how, but we're going to do it. And to figure out how to make swimming work for kids who can't move their bodies and to figure out how to make yoga a class where kids can come and feel like they can move their body and relax and be with a group. I think Unified Sports brought that culture to our school of what can we do to help you? Wow. Wow. And I think it's beautiful. And it's it's the reason I've been so um, passionate about unified sports. It's, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anything that has been anything other than joyful included. Um, It's, it's life changing for, for people that are involved. It changes the life of, of the unified partners. It changes the life of the unified athlete. It changes the life of the entire school. It changes the life of parents. I can't preach this enough because this is so I, I love that that you have have experienced that uh, as well. Um, let's let's talk a little bit uh, as we as we kind of wrap up here. Let's talk a little bit about what you what you wish people knew, um, what you wish maybe parents knew about your job as an educator, what you wish, um, you know, the, Utahns in general knew about the job of a teacher and the things that you're doing in your school? It's not just grading papers. It's not just taking attendance. It's getting to know their children and helping their children in any way possible. You're an advocate for them. You know, the kids on your role, um, they're not, you know, you're you're responsible for them, but you're also their mentor and you might be the only one rooting for that kid and you might be the only one that can provide structure routine compassion and boundaries for and that's the best part about teaching but also the most time-consuming and so you know when parents send their kids to school it's not just to learn how to you know, be really good at writing. That's a very important skill, you know, being good at learning how to work with numbers, very good skill. But they also need to learn how to cope and they need to learn what boundaries are. They need to learn what um, responsibilities are. They need to learn how to be accountable for their actions. They need to learn that we don't get the grades we wish for. We get the grades we work for. And if we we work really hard and we still don't get it. We try again and teachers truly believe it's their job to help that student to try again. And so if kids fail, I think it's good for parents to let their kids fail. It's good for parents to let their kids go through trials and it's good for parents to, you know, be on the sidelines of what their kids are going through. But I think it kids learn a lot when they have to handle hard things and when they have a trial they're facing to 
instead of, you know, being <clears throat> instead of the parent opting the kid out of that trial and saying, oh, I'll take care of it. You know, it's your kid. You don't want him to experience hard things. And yeah. I get that. Yeah. But let your kids fail and let your kids do hard things because the people inside of the buildings with the role are going to help them get there. Mm. That's that's a powerful, powerful message. Um, and and something I, I kind of wished I would have been better at as a parent. <laughs> but we're still we're still working. We're yes, still working. Yes. And, and I'm going it, to it's really important for us, I think, to, to do that. Let me let me ask you this. Um, what are you doing to help take care of yourself and and really work on your own mental health? What are the some things that you do to to sort of keep yourself in a good headspace? Um, or do you? I hope you do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't always take the time because I feel guilty. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, I should be thinking about my kids. I should be in my classroom. I should be doing this. I should be on Canvas. I haven't graded this. But something I've started doing is taking time for myself and for my students during the classroom. So we'll do a mindful minute at the beginning of each period. And I put a prompt on the board and I do it with the students. Mm. And we'll do a mindful minute, which is just a reset for me to begin the next period. And it helps them get started in the day. Mm -hmm. um, during the school year, we will go for walks as a class and go outside, get some sunshine. Um, I think it helps keep a good classroom climate. Um, we do a lot of service projects in class. We'll do a 15-minute break, and everyone has to write a thank you card to a teacher. And then I give oh, it— Oh, I love that. I, oh, the gratitude. Yeah. We all know that you know, research bears yeah. it out, the gratitude. Oh, I love that. And so that helps when I am thinking about you know another teacher, because I'll, I'll do it too. I'll write notes to my friends, and we'll put it in the main office, and they'll sort them into the boxes— um, but when I'm not at school, what I found that helps is just sitting, sitting down with a blanket and my puppy Lola. I've never had a dog. I got her in November. Um, but just sitting down with Lola and my husband and just sitting in, in quiet. Mm. Perfect. Oh, that's so great. Well, Alex, this has been just a privilege for me and I'm, I'm so, um, honored that you would tell your story and, and really share the, the things that you're doing and really share some really powerful insights into what our kids are facing right now and what, what students are experiencing and what educators are experiencing together. So uh, I think it helps us to be more appreciative when we, when we know, when we get proximate and understand somebody else's story, we, we really can do better to support each other. And I love what you explained about Unified Sports and what it's doing, because I, I, I feel that. I know that's happening in schools all over the state right now. And so we, we feel so blessed uh, to, to really uh, hear from you and, and understand your experience today. So thank you again for being here with me. You're welcome. And if you don't have Unified Sports at your school, you need it. Absolutely. Every, thank everyone, you for the <laughs> everyone needs it. If you want a good school climate and you don't know how to get there, that's your first step. It'll change everyone. Showuputah.org. Find us there and, and we can get you going. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, 
but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.